Alice Fedonofsky. I'm the executive director for the EFBC. I want to thank you all for joining us today. We are physically distancing, but it's so important now more than ever that we are still socially engaging. Um, I want to start by giving our strategic partners a huge shout out because when I reached out last week, not one of the eight of them hesitated to be on today's call. So they are definitely showing up for us and we are so grateful to have them. We recognize that this is a time of uncertainty, but it is in these times that the strength of our community becomes so apparent. Now it's my pleasure to introduce our moderator for today. Patty Rio of Odia is one of our eight strategic partners. She's been a partner for over six years, but she's been a marketing strategist and writer in a variety of roles for over 20 years. When working with Patty, you'll find that she isn't just one to make recommendations, she'll roll up her sleeves to help make things happen. Patty, I'm gonna to toss it over to you now. Awesome. Thanks, Liz. Hi, all. Super excited you could all join. And I'm going to be super short with my intros because we've got some brilliant folks on this line who uh, who are going to help us all navigate uh, what has become just some uh, slightly unbelievable and turbulent time. So I'm going to turn it over one at a time to each of our strategic partners. We're going to be short and sweet first thing. We're just going to take three minutes to give you just what's top of our minds, what our clients uh, have been asking us. So we'll share a little bit of insights. And then when we're done, we've got a number of questions that you all submitted. If there's questions throughout, please do not unmute yourself. Please send an email to Kara, K-E-R-R-A, at mycfbc.com. And if we have time for additional questions, we will go ahead and add those in. So, George, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself first and start your three minutes. Hey, folks, this is George from Psyched, and I'll just get right into uh, uh, kind of an outline of um, what are important things during this time to best take care of your most important resource, your people. Uh, first and foremost, you know, communication and trust are important in regular times, but in these really difficult times, communication and trust are critical, if not the difference between survival and extinction. So beginning with that, one thing that I know you've all done on a regular basis is identify who your stakeholders are, and we're going to be focusing really on the employees. And the most critical things that you want to be able to answer for those employees all should be done in the context of what do you want them to know. And when I'm talking about what do you want them to know, it's about what are the facts? What are the things that will help them to make educated decisions, including the business challenges that you're facing as well as the employment realities? And in addition to what do you want them to know, you also want to very much think about how do you want them to feel after any communications that you provide. Do you want them to feel supported? Do you want them to feel confident in their ability to respond appropriately to whatever challenges they face, and also to feel that they're not alone while facing these challenges? So. Keep those two things in mind as we look at the other pieces. So what do you want them to know, and how do you want them to feel? Communication is critical, and so communicate what your people can count on from you as an employer. Now, 
it's going to be different for each of you and what you're able uh, to communicate with them about what they can count on. So first and foremost, it's probably going to include something about pay and benefits and other kinds of support that they're going to be able to count on. Recognizing that they have to be updated on a regular basis because what they can count on from a pay standpoint this week may change a week from now. And so it's not only what it is they can count on today, but for what period of time and then when will it be reevaluated on a weekly basis, a daily basis, whatever it is, let them know. And as new information comes in, decisions will be made and communicated, good or bad. Um, and then the, the third thing is help employees take control of what they can. So much happens in these days, and the fear kicks in, and depression can kick in when people feel out of control. And so help them to recognize what things they can do from a personal health and safety standpoint, as well as financial planning for the worst, but hoping for the best. And then realistic and appropriate confidence. And for many of us, it's also being able to model that confidence for not only other employees, but more importantly, for their families. So those are, that's kind of the context in which I want you to be thinking about what the rest of us are going to be saying here over the next hour. Perfect. Well done, George. Thanks so much. Thanks, All right. Betty. Next up, friend Marcus Newman. Microphone over to you, please. Great. Hi, everybody. This is Marcus. Uh, Liz, everybody can hear me, right? So I'm going to get started right away. And um, there's so much I have to tell you. So I am the strategic partner who deals with employee benefits and insurance. And, and I'm sure you're all um, thinking, wondering, being concerned about your benefits. Here are things I believe that you should know. And I just want to put it out there that any of you is welcome to call me after this presentation today, tomorrow, whatever, and discuss your individual situation. I'm happy to lend a hand in whatever way I can. First and foremost, um, you may have heard in the news that all COVID-19 testing is going to be covered by insurance companies without copayment or deductible expense. That is provided that it is medically necessary. Somebody would have had to either have symptoms, be exposed to the virus, or been told by their doctor that they need to be tested in order for it to be covered. If somebody just wants to be tested for their own anxiety and can't demonstrate symptoms or exposure, those expenses will probably not be covered. It's very, very important. Um, other than that, everything should be treated as any other illness by the insurance company and we should not have too many problems. In regard to um, downsizing, laying off people, furloughing employees, which is when they're laid off with the, expect the expectation to be rehired, or reducing hours below 30 hours per week, which establishes eligibility, I have the following things to say. This morning, United Healthcare announced that they will allow employees who have had their hours reduced below 30 hours to remain on the plan, provided that the employer continues to make the contribution that they were making prior to the reduction of hours. For instance, if, I, if you as the employer are paying 80% of the single premium and the employee is paying 20%, you reduce their hours below 30, normally they would not be eligible, but in this case, they would still be eligible. 
as long as the employer is still paying 80% and, and the employee paying 20%. Um, United Healthcare has come out publicly with this. We expect Blue Cross Blue Shield will follow in suit, um, but they have not yet. When you furlough an employee and they are no longer working for you, this is a COBRA event. Un under the old rules, um, it's a separation of employment and therefore a COBRA event and people can continue at their own cost. Many employers have expressed that they would like to keep people on the plan longer than that. And that's really an issue to take up with uh, legal. Um, I have heard that there are severance agreements, furlough agreements, things of that nature, which call for an extension of uh, the benefits up to 12 weeks. Um, but these are areas, uh, legal areas that are outside of my um, influence and expertise. Um, again, there are opportunities to continue insurance for reduction of hours. There are opportunities to continue insurance for uh, furlough. But uh, layoffs and termination of employments are COBRA events, and, and people will be expected to pay for their care themselves. That's as much as I could fit into three minutes. And so I'm going to yield to the next presenter. Well done. The strategic partners are on it. Three minutes. Uh, Mary Beth with Private Vista, you are my next presenter, please. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, thank you very much, Patty. I am the strategic partner from Private Vista, and we are responsible for the investment management and financial planning piece. So, so uh, what I wanted to share, because my specific question was, what do I do and tell my team about their 401ks in the midst of all of this? And I know that this is going to be hard to hear, but really the best thing to do and my, my suggestion recommendation would be is that you don't let your emotions win out and therefore don't panic and to remind yourself of why you're investing to begin with which is long-term goals whether it's for your child's uh, college education or your retirement those are decades away and you will be able to weather this storm because I know say this or hear this We've been in tragedies and, and market downturns before, and we will get back from them. Um, so I just wanted to also, um, the other thing to remember is, is to always try and diversify your portfolios. And the nice thing to do also is to rebalance your portfolios right now. So if, these, if you have any questions about your individual situations, I would also be happy to have you reach out to me. And I also have two colleagues at Private Vista that would also be very willing to help you. Um, the other thing, just in terms of advice, I would try and not watch the news because if it's going to create more angst for you, um, again, we have been here before and we will weather this storm um, and we just all have to um, maintain um, calm and like George says, try not to be anxious. So I think I did it in three minutes. Nicely done, Mary Beth. Um, we'll probably circle back to you. You even had a, a, a minute left, but uh, Jeff Warren, uh, if I can ask you to follow behind, please. Right, I think, I, am I unmuted? Can you hear me? We have you, yep, you're good. Thank you. Okay, well, <clears throat> one of the things that my firm considered that I think all the people on this line need to think about is how you're gonna, what you're gonna tell your people regarding <clears throat> how they clock their time when they're working from home. Uh, I think what George had to say is essential, uh, essential advice, which is 
the need for clear communication. <clears throat> One of the things that we faced when we allowed non-exempt employees, but that is people who are subject to the wage and hour laws, to work from home, which was not something we had previously done. Uh, we had only had our attorneys and, and, and exempt administrative staff working from home, and in that case, there were no such thing. There were no such concerns as overtime, uh, wage and hour issues. Now we're facing wage and hour issues where we have a, a larger workforce that we've launched and allowed to work from home. And so we needed to be very clear in, in formulating and then communicating to, the, to, to our people how they should uh, clock in and clock out relative to being in a home environment where they have to cook lunch for a child, uh, run to the store, uh, do other tasks during the day. And I think that we also needed to be very clear with our professional staff that just because everybody was accessible from home 24-7, we needed to adhere to the normal or the ordinary established workday hours, uh, seven-hour seven workday, so we would avoid imposing unduly on our non-exempt staff. They were not there at the beck and call of professionals some of whom have pretty eccentric operating uh, uh, protocols. Some people like to work late into the night and so on. But our staff is basically, uh, give or take up some flexibility, nine to five. And so we, we had to be very clear in our communications as to the fact that our non-exempt employee workforce uh, was not to be called upon except in exceptional circumstances which warranted the payment of overtime uh, beyond uh, normal working hours. And we also had to be very clear to them as to what we meant by when you're on the clock and when you're not on the clock. And uh, what we had, a, some of the people were concerned, and I think that you, you want to make it very clear as your expectations to your people that um, they're not necessarily only going to get paid for the when they're working on a task. It's when they're available to be working on a task, when they're available by phone, when they're available at their desk, if they're available at their computer, as they are in the office, even if they have periods of time when work has lapsed. So I think I'm getting close to my three minutes, but very carefully be, uh, adhere to the wage and hour uh, guidelines, because otherwise you're going to have the Department of Labor all over you on overtime claims. Perfect. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much. Um, thanks to those folks who've joined. Appreciate you being with us. If I'll just remind everyone to keep their microphones muted so we can hear the presenters. And uh, Dave with PSM Partners, you're up next, please. Thanks, Patty. This is Dave Stolarek. Uh, we're the technology uh, partner to the EFDC. And there are so many technological elements that we feel are important to evaluate right now. I'll try to squeeze as many as I can into the next two and a half minutes. Um, first and foremost, we're all virtualized now, and so we've had to adapt to some type of uh, communication tool for collaboration. My recommendation, first and foremost, is to leverage some type of enterprise-grade solution. And I say that because um, there are certainly some security concerns that come into play, and I'll address those in just a minute. And by enterprise-grade, I mean something like Microsoft Teams or Zoom or Google Meet. Um, if you're using, you know, a subpar service, you're opening yourself up to some significant security concerns. I'll segue into security at that point. Evaluating your security uh, is more important now than it was certainly before. When you're in an office environment, you typically have 
some type of robust firewall in place. Now that you're working off of your home connection, you're probably simply using whatever router was provided by your internet provider at home. And right now is a breeding ground for the nefarious activity of hackers and those that are trying to capture your critical data for your company that's now riding over a less secure internet connection. There are some things that you can do immediately to prevent this. One is to deploy some type of two-factor authentication. Those services are native to some of the suites like Microsoft Stack. I can give you recommendations offline. I encourage you to reach out to me. Um, but putting in some type of multi-factor authentication is something that we recommend right away. And then there are also web-based web firewalls that can be deployed to help secure your home connection better than it already is. Um, the next thing would be, as we're all preparing for the inevitability of having to drive costs out of our business in this next phase of what's happening, um, there are some immediate areas that you can look within IT. One is your telecom cost. Um, we will, as your technology partner, conduct a free assessment of all things telecom. That would be your internet connectivity, your telephony, uh, maybe any data centers that you have, you know, uh, order rack space and power where your housing equipment, if you haven't virtualized it already, please leverage us. We're happy to do a free assessment for you and let you know where you might be able to save some costs. We've already been conducting those assessments and we've found 30 to 50% on average that we can drive costs out of telecom spend. Um, if you're reduced, as a final point, uh, if, you're, if you're forced to reduce, that is, your in-house IT resources, um, we need to determine very quickly what can be outsourced. So again, we're happy to take a look at what your environment looks like. If you're forced, unfortunately, to cut some headcount and IT falls in that realm, we can talk to you about how to virtualize some of that and look to a, a virtual CIO model. Nice timing, Dave. Well done. Uh, another reminder before I, I pass the baton, if you have questions that come up during the process, we're going to... Try and keep us all muted. So you send your questions to Kara. That is Kara, K-E-R-R-A, at myefc.com, and we will get to as many questions as we can uh, once we're through our, our last two presenters. And then, of course, we'll follow up with any outstanding questions after that. Um, so, Karen, I'm going to turn the, the microphone over to you, Karen Snodgrass, with the title. Good afternoon, everyone. I, I hope everyone is uh, hanging in okay. It's certainly been a whirlwind week, to say the least. Um, as Patty mentioned, my name is Karen Snodgrass. I'm with Craig Kaiser. We're the uh, accounting firm that is the strategic partner with the EFCC. Uh, the role I have in the firm is more on the tax side, and I'll be brief because I don't think it's as important as some other matters. You certainly do have more time to file uh, and pay your individual taxes. That has been extended to July 15th by the IRS. We're still waiting to hear from the state of Illinois as to what they will be doing. Um, and our recommendation is if you're expecting a refund, get those returns filed quickly so you can get the uh, cash into your pocket. Uh, we're also looking at the payroll tax credits that are available to employers that are providing sick leave, medical leave, et cetera. We're still uh, waiting on some of the details about how to claim those credits, et cetera, but there, you know, it's, it's a, in my opinion, it's, it's not nearly enough of what we need. So it's something, but we're also looking for some more things coming down the pike as far as tax relief specifically for corporations. 
right now, uh, the biggest issue is really just managing your cash flow. Having good communication with your lenders, your customers, et cetera, and really thinking about what does that three to four month plan look like for your cash? What are your payroll needs, um, rent requirements, et cetera? And really trying to budget out what you think you're going to need. And I know Mike will probably talk about this from the banking side of things, but looking at what lines of credit you may have available and just trying to free up resources so you can keep your lights on, keep your people paid. Um, it's going to be obviously a rough stretch, but as George alluded to at the very top, it's all going to be about communication. Communication with your employees as well as with those uh, key stakeholders. Uh, like the other partners, we're happy to help you as you navigate any of these issues. Um, feel free to lean on us wherever you have some uh, needs and questions about your budgetary uh, requirements, et cetera. Thanks, Karen, and uh, you did a perfect segue for me. Uh, Mike Moran with Fifth Third is on with us as well. So Mike, you are next. Thank you, everybody. As you mentioned, uh, Mike Moran with Fifth Third, the, the banking uh, strategic partner. Um, most uh, people are wondering, as, as Karen was talking about, about uh, cash flow and availability of cash. With all of our clients, we're highly recommending people do what's called the 13-week cash flow forecast. You basically start with your current cash. You forecast each week's expected inflows of cash or mostly collections from clients uh and then all the outflows um and what's nice you do this in excel and you can make some assumptions and and update it pretty regularly it will tell you where you might have shortfalls or uh or, or where you need to make some adjustments um that's a great place to start we have templates if people want them uh just let me know uh, i can forward one to you the you certainly want to talk to your banker um, about the needs and probably even share those cash flow forecasts with them um, and talk about what they what can be done. Um, first, first is, you know, just accessing a credit line. If you have a credit line, you haven't used it in a very long time. I, I don't uh, you know, I, it wouldn't be a bad idea to do a token advance just to make sure you know the logistics of what is needed. Sometimes it's literally just. Uh, click a button online. Sometimes it's a phone call or email, and sometimes you need to fill out a borrowing base or whatever, but it's been a while. You might want to uh, test those logistical waters, make sure that, that you, know, you know what needs to be done. Um, and then uh, the, all, the other side is if your cash flow forecast is showing that you're going to be negative and you don't have enough uh, availability on your credit lines, you probably want to talk to your banker about uh, potentially going interest only if that makes sense uh, for you um, or even even other potential measures, but you should talk to them. They're going to want to know that if you're asking uh, the bank to lean in closely and help you, they're going to know that you're you're doing everything you can personally as well, uh, maybe injecting some money if you're, into your company if you're able to. Um, a couple of things is, you know, obviously some people are, are uh, jumping in and, and borrowing their entire uh, credit line. While um, in some cases we say, you know, if, as long as the line's available to you, certainly test it, but um, that just creates more interest costs for you in a time when a lot of companies are trying to shed costs. So be judicious about that and think about it. Um, 
And and one thing I would would also say is 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 the line of credit acting as a bridge or is it delaying a fateful decision? Meaning you really have to think about is is are you just uh, adding on debt that you're going to have when when you know uh, uh, you're unable to come back or so you got really got that's where the cash flow forecasts really come in. You need to figure out where where what you're doing and and what the real solutions are and be honest with yourself. And I think getting outside opinions uh, from CPAs, bankers, other advisors is very appropriate. Um, and I think I'm running up against my time here, so I'll try to go fast. A lot of people have questions about FDIC insurance. I will say the banking system's much stronger today than it was in 2008. Um, and so I'm very, very confident that uh, in the banking system as a whole. So I'm, I'm not too concerned, although, um, you know, uh, the risk isn't zero, but it's low. Uh, you could always move money into treasuries uh, if you wanted. Um, lots of us can help do that. Um, and also, there's SBA disaster loans. Um, these are brand new. I'm still learning about them. Uh, I've got a few clients that are putting in applications, which are apparently are a little bit laborious, uh, but the terms seem to be pretty favorable. So for some people, they may be the right uh, a right option um, as well. So that's something that needs to be uh, you know at least put on the table. Um, and then I'm going to highlight because uh, this is just uh, cybercrime and check fraud are still out there. Keep an eye out. Uh, be vigilant. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. So I think I am the final strategic partner to, to begin. Um, and so I'm going to try and do three tips in three minutes and, and meet my, my fellow strategic partners. Um, first conversation is around communication. And I'm going to echo how George started us out. And that is, um, you know, obviously we all have different comfort levels and different abilities to be transparent. But as we to communicate, communicating outward is very much the same as communicating inward. And I like to think of it as kind of that, that pebble in a pond as they provide those ever-expanding circles. That's exactly how you communicate. So tell your story, tell your team, just as George talked about, the next circle outside of that becomes your customers, your investors, those other folks who are close who do want to hear from you, and your vendors, maybe your partners, some of your prospects. So those folks are just a little bit farther out. And then, of course, the general public. And what we never want to see happen is something to become news in the general public before those inner circles here. So make sure they hear from you first. Um, my second tip is a little self-serving, um, but I do truly believe it. If you can continue to invest, definitely keep marketing. Um, the only study I've seen out there that far is from Nielsen, which is saying that there's been a 50 to 60% increase in media consumption. So folks are looking and consuming information as well as marketing. Suddenly, some of us find ourselves in the market for things we didn't even know existed two weeks ago, let alone 20 minutes ago. Thank you, Dave, who knew that I could get a private firewall. So suddenly, there's going to be a lot of prospects in the market for things that, that they were not in the market for before, and you might have the solution for them. Um, and then finally, if you do keep marketing, your share of voice will increase. So as others go quiet, your share of voice, your ability to keep telling your story and telling your messages is going to have an opportunity to cut through the clutter um, without so many messages out there from some of the folks who've gone quiet. 
that might mean I'm going to stay very early in that information gathering as I'm not going to pull the trigger on a lot of um, purchases. Um, but when I am ready, when we, as we come out of this, as Marybeth said, we always do, um, I'll be there and ready. And then finally, the reality is some of us are going to pivot, um, Odia included. Some of us might have to pivot and not be able to conduct business as usual right now or even as we come out. Um, and the reality of that is that that crazy harebrained middle of the night, oh my gosh, idea might not be so crazy and harebrained. It actually might be bold and brilliant and not what this network is all about and finding those folks around you in your forum, in your roundtable as we go virtual with the strategic partners. Um, that to me is the best question we can all take from this is that none of us are in this alone. And there's my three minutes. Um, so now, we are going to open it up to questions from you. Kara, I know you've gotten a few more as we've been talking. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start us out with one that came in, a group of them actually, um, that I think I'm going to ask George for his response first. And then Kara, if you've got some kind of along this line that you want to add in, feel free before George starts. But lots of folks are trying to get some data points as to what other folks are doing when it comes to having some remote workers and some folks who can't, whether you're a distributor or a manufacturer, um, what's there, what's okay to ask, what happens when someone you need in the uh, building doesn't have space coming uh, or leaving their home. Um, so all the questions surrounding how do we deal with um, folks who do have, have to be moving to the place. Tara, do you have any questions that came in to add that one? Yes, yeah, so we have a few that are similar to that. Um, there's a few people asking about the stay at home order that Governor Pritzker announced um, that, you know, people don't want to come into the office due to this order. And, uh, but there are some employees that can't work remotely. So there's a question of, um, is it fair to have an employee not come in when others are required to. Um, and then there's also, uh, you know, if it's not something the company has ever done in the past, and if they are an essential business that is required to stay open, um, given Governor Pritzker's uh, stay at home order, do they need to be paid if they are refusing to come in? So it's kind of Perfect. a bundle. Yeah, so that's kind of a big bundle. So George, can you start unwrapping that? And then Jeff, I'm probably going to come over to you next, if that's all right, gentlemen. Yeah, I'll start off. And um, part of it is a legal question, a lot of it, frankly. But the first step is really ensure that you are considered an essential um, organization, essential uh, industry and that you're exempt from that stay at work order. That's the first step. Secondly, you have to separately decide which of your um, functions can you know, and should continue to run. And it's not to say, okay, I'm an essential organization and, and all of my people are required there. Um, I think you really do, the government as well as everyone else expects you to have, put some judgment into that and see which of these functions need to happen here, like many manufacturing, and then other things that may not have to. The question of fairness is a tough one. 
as much as possible, you want to keep things consistent as, as you can so that you don't have a person in the same function, one able to work at home and another working in the office. That's going to be a little bit more difficult to uh, defend in the future if anything comes up. And so you want to try and be as consistent as possible with respect to who needs to come in and who can work from home. Um, and then, I, Jeff, I don't think there's a legal requirement to pay people who decide on their own to stay at home, but the question becomes one of, uh, you know, fairness. Jeff, any legal side on that? Maybe not. Jeff Warren, can you unmute yourself? And do you have any additions? It looks like we lost Jeff Warren, perhaps. Hey, um, uh, Patty, the other thing is the whole question of keeping people on versus uh, um, layoffs or uh, furloughs. And like Marcus had alluded to, that difference is you still keep furlough as you keep them on the on the uh, um, you know on the record books. Uh, you may not be paying them, but maybe you can continue to pay their benefit component. And so, so that would be good. A layoff is actually separation from the organization. Um, and I think either one, you have the opportunity to go and file for unemployment. Um, and uh, obviously, I think that's going to be opened up quite a bit over the next probably couple of months. This is Rachel Yarch. Can you hear me? Hey, Rachel. Good. Yes. Yes. Perfect. Okay. I can figure out how to unmute myself. <laughs> Um, but I can speak a little bit to the legalities. Um, there's a lot of moving parts here, uh, but the new legislation that goes into effect on April 2nd has two components to it. The first part is a paid sick leave component, and the second part is an extended FMLA component. Um, these laws right now generally apply to any companies with less than 500 employees, and um, the paid leave component that goes that will take effect first, essentially, um, does require employers to pay full-time employees for up to 80 hours of time away from work for a variety of different reasons. And one of them is if the business is shut down by a government order, or if the individual is quarantined or isolated because of a doctor's order, if the person is um, attempting to undergo a diagnosis because of COVID-19 symptoms, um, for any of those reasons, the individual employee could be entitled to 80 hours of, of paid time off subject to a cap of $511 per day or $5,110 total. Now, if the employee wants to stay home, because a family member has COVID-19 symptoms and needs their assistance, or if they have a child whose school or daycare provider is closed as a result of the government order, they can also stay home and collect some paid 
time off for 80 hours. However, it's maxed out at $200 per day for those employees who are caring for other people rather than off work for reasons associated with themselves. Um, and that's a maximum payment of $2,000 total. Um, that's for the first essentially 10 days or two weeks of employment. After that, the extended FMLA could kick in. And this is an important component for anyone whose schools are closed for an extended period of time. CPS now is closed through April 20th, and we may see more school closures um, extending into late April and May. Those folks are allowed to take FMLA leave to care for their child who can't be in school. And that kicks in after those first two weeks of the paid sick leave. And they would be entitled to two thirds of their pay up to a maximum amount of $10,000. And that could go on for up to 12 weeks. Now, some of you on the call might be thinking, oh, FMLA, that doesn't apply to me because FMLA only applies if you have 50 or more employees. This expanded leave, that is not the case. It's employees under 500. And it's any employee who's been employed for you for up to 30 days or for at least 30 days. So those prior FMLA um, eligibility criteria that we used to think of no longer apply. So that was a really long-winded answer, but this is a pretty complex piece of legislation. Karen Snodgrass, I know that you've had some complex legislation coming through as well, and we've had some tax questions. Can you just give an, an overview of, besides the, the tax ramifications of moving to July, and can you talk about a couple of the other things that you've seen in the last week for, for the folks who are asking about the, the impact on taxes? Yeah, um, actually, I think Rachel just really touched on the biggest piece of it, which is this uh, this Leave Act and the tax credits available for uh, employers. That's really been the biggest one that's come down so far. Um, we're watching as Washington dabbles with some other potential legislation that would probably affect corporate more than individual uh, people. So effectively, what they're trying to do is for example, in the past, you used to be able to carry a business loss back and recoup prior year taxes. Well, that all changed with the new tax act a couple of years ago. Um, they're talking about perhaps peeling that back. So when businesses show losses in 2020, you can go back and recoup some refunds. So those are the types of things that we're watching. Um, again, I think it's going to be more corporate than individual. Terrific. Thanks so much. Um, Mike, did you have something to, to add to that? Mike Moran, you, you can hop onto my screen for a moment. And your mic. You're still muted. muted. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Hello. This is Mike Moran. Yeah, you're yes, good. Go ahead, Mike. Um, I had one question was uh, to, for Rachel. Is that uh, employees zero to 500 you were, you were speaking to for FMLA? Yes, that's correct. As the law exists right now, there's a provision in there that says the Secretary of the Department of Labor could issue regulations that would exempt certain companies with less than 50 employees 
but we haven't seen any activity in that area yet. Okay. Um, on to regulation in our industry. I mean, obviously, there's uh, most banks, at least most of the big banks I know of, are already coming out with, uh, I'll call it client leniency uh, rules, uh, where if you're affected by COVID-19, there's, you could uh, uh, go to interest only on your loans uh, for usually a period of three months. Um, there's uh, potentially some others as well. Um, of course, the banks are going to want to see some some information on that. Um, and I'm sure there's more stuff coming down the pike, but uh, it makes sense to get your you know forecast ready and share with the bank and, and see if you can get what you need to make it through. Uh, that's the thing I emphasize the most is get your information together, get your forecast out there. So you actually know for not only for your, you know, for yourself, first of all, and then uh, for your bank and, and uh, you know, all the sources uh, that you need to draw on. Perfect. Thanks so much, Mike. Uh, we have a question regarding telephones and uh, switch, which is beyond my pay grade, as well as cell phone forwarding. Dave, is that something you can handle? And Mike, can I ask you to mute again for me, please? I apologize, <clears throat> Patty. I couldn't understand your question. You're breaking up really bad. Oh, my apologies. Any better? Any better, Dave? It looks apologies. like Dave dropped, but your mic is better. Terrific. Well, Tara, do you have a question for us while Mike is, is dropped off? Because my next one is for him. Sure. Um, so... We have a couple of people asking um, about PTO, sick time. Um, so can we, the question is, can we ask our exempt employees to use their PTO or sick time to fill any gaps in their eight hours a day, so their normal work hours, with any shortfall of hours to make their salary requirement, which is 2,080 hours a year? Um, it's been heard that we can ask, but have uh, but they cannot be required to do so. I believe that's a question for uh, Rachel. Yes, I've always been under the impression that you can ask, but you can't require. But at the end of the day, under these circumstances, if you ask the employee to cooperate with you in that regard and the employee says no and refuses, then the employee could quit and you have to pay that PTO out anyway. So I think under these circumstances, I would say companies are okay to, to try to require employees to do that. At the end of the day, if it's between that and termination of employment, you know, there's not a big difference there. And one other question related to that, Rachel, um, are employers required to pay severance at termination? Not unless there's a contract of employment or a company-wide severance policy that requires it. All right, thank you. Um, do we have, do we know if Dave is back on the horn? Yes, I'm here. Hi Dave, so we had a question about um, tips for suddenly running a virtual team um, and also phone suggestions. So should they try to do a desk phone at home, 
use cell phones, offsite forwarding, that sort of thing. So kind of the, the virtual meetings and then how to handle uh, business over the phone. Sure. So um, depending on the size requirements for the virtual meetings, um, there are several platforms that enable large groups to collaborate. The one that we're on, obviously, um, Microsoft's tool is Teams. That's what we've deployed for our enterprise and uh, we're helping a lot of our customers move to as well. <clears throat> that leverages uh, you know, an internet connection. It has the ability for interactive chat, video, audio. Um, if you need a much higher resolution or quality video, I recommend Zoom conferencing for the video component. Um, we, we do see some uh, organizations leveraging both Teams and Zoom. And there is actually a click-through option where they integrate through an API pretty well, where both tools can run at the same time. You can leverage the high-quality video aspect of Zoom and some of the collaborative chat and text features of Teams. Um, as it relates to phones themselves, I'm communicating with you right now strictly through the microphone on my laptop. And um, I have found that the audio quality is very high for that. I have a high-speed internet connection at home that I ramped up as a component of moving to virtual office. I called my provider and had them increase my bandwidth. Um, some tips, by the way, for running group meetings over a home internet connection. We have a, te a tendency to multitask and you're running multiple, ta multiple tabs on your web browser. Each one of those tabs is gonna drain uh, valuable resources off of that internet connection. So if you want to maintain a very solid video and voice connection as part of your collaborative element, you wanna make sure that you minimize or shut down the number of, uh, of simultaneous screens that you're running that are drawing bandwidth over the internet. Um, I hope that's a helpful initial answer. As far as specific phones and features, I recommend the most basic audio device that you can get. There are uh, these uh, phones that are just adaptable to a USB port on your computer and leverage the, the internet. And, um, you know, I, I do at the same time see people leveraging their home phone if they have a, a regular switched phone line uh, from the public, you know, phone provider. Those are still very stable. Thank you, Dave. Uh, this next one is for Marcus. I know you talked about Cobra a little bit, um, but the question is, are there any changes to Cobra? Should we need to lay off any of our workers? Well, let me start by saying that um, I, I'm fully aware that many of you are struggling with layoffs in regard to medical benefits, especially in the time of a global health crisis. It can't be easy. And my heart goes out to all of you um, that are in this situation having to make these decisions. Um, and I'm here for you, like I said, if you need to talk it through and you want to look at it from all angles, I will help you. There's no changes at this time to the COBRA continuation arrangement. That is that companies with fewer than 20 employees use what's called state continuation, which allows a, a terminated employee to continue their medical and dental benefits at their own cost um, for up to 12 months. Companies with more than 20 employees, uh, the COBRA, allow, COBRA continuation allows employee, terminated employees to continue their medical and dental benefits for up to 18 months at their own cost. There is the opportunity for a business to charge 2% service charge. I don't think anybody's thinking about doing that right now, um, but they can do that um, to compensate for administrative time. So 
those are the continuation rules at this time. Most companies are asking me questions about how can they extend the amount of time that somebody can be on the benefits. And when they're asking that question, they're concerned with the cost. You know, many people do not really know the full monthly cost of their health insurance. They're only familiar with their own portion. And when they find out the full monthly cost, they're surprised at how expensive it is. Uh, typically, somebody finds out the true cost of their benefits when it comes time for them to consider COBRA or continuation. Um, so as I discussed earlier, there are a couple of different ways where employers can continue to make their contribution if they're willing to or able to, um, but, but they're few and far between. And if there is a termination of employment, uh, typically that requires um, a COBRA or a continuation event. Hey, thank you, Marcus. We have a few questions about the Sick Leave Act. Um, so this is probably for Rachel as well. Um, the first is, um, if the employer is essential and the employee decides to stay home, does that fall under the Sick Leave Act? And does this act um, apply to employees or to employers with less than 50 employees? If the employee is essential to the company and the employee decides to stay at home and not work, they're not governed under this act unless they are taking care of a family member or a child whose school is closed or daycare provider is closed. Um, the second question was the number of employees. As I mentioned before, this applies to all employers with 500 or less employees unless we see some action by the Secretary of the Department of Labor between now and April 2nd. All right. Um, going back to uh, businesses that are considered essential. Um, so we had a few companies who um, are still open due to being an essential business. And there's a question of, um, this could go to, to any of the partners if they have a clue on this one. Um, if any essential businesses have done anything formally to document themselves as essential. So um, if they're continuing to stay open, have do they have to take any steps to document themselves as um, having to stay open? Rachel or Jeff, have you heard of any legal requirements of designating yourself an essential business in Illinois? I have not. I have not either. The best advice that I'm giving to folks is that if you can tell from the governor's order that your company falls within those essential businesses and you want to remain open, you should give your employees some kind of letter indicating I'm required to be at work at this address because my employer is considered to be an essential business, just so they have that with them if they're ever stopped and asked. Um, the other thing that I have seen some clients do, I don't know how difficult this will be, but I do know some companies have been getting letters from their local mayors that would indicate that pursuant to the governor's order, the particular business at issue is essential. Kara, Kara, this is Marcus. If I could just um, state this, that uh, a business does not declare itself to be essential. There's a list of essential businesses on the Illinois uh, government website. 
um, per um, Governor Pritzker's um, stay at home order. And if you fit into one of those, uh, some of them are stores that sell groceries and medicine, organizations that provide charitable and social services, the media, uh, financial institutions, hardware supply stores. There's a list. If you're one of those businesses, then you're essential and you keep working. Um, if you're not one of those businesses, then then you're. I did. No, that's this is Jeff. I'm sorry. I just wanted to add a, add something to what Marcus was saying, and I wasn't sure when he was going to stop talking. All I was going to say was <clears throat> it goes back to what George was talking about at the beginning. It's a matter of communication. Um, some of those categories, because uh, I don't disagree with what Marcus said, that the, 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 we don't declare ourselves essential. We are deemed essential by reason of what the governor's order says. But in terms of communication to your employees and protecting them in terms of if they get stopped on the way to work or, or challenged at the door if you're in an office tower, I think that it would be helpful for, a, for an employer who believes that they have been deemed essential and that they're open because they're providing essential services to communicate that to their staff and to let them have something in writing so that they have, they're armed with that uh, information uh, and they and they know why they're being required to do what they're doing. Again, it's a communication issue. This is Deanna. Um, just wanted to chime in. On Saturday, we actually did give all of our employees um, who are physically here, because many of our staff have been working from home effective last Wednesday, um, we did prepare a letter and uh, signed it. Um, we put a physical copy on everybody's desk. We also sent a an email copy of the PDF so that they had it on their iPhone or whatever um, to forward anybody who would need to have it to let them know that they are considered an essential um, and that they should gain passage to their office in Oak Brook Terrace. Thank you, everybody. Um, so we are not gonna be able to get to all of the questions. Um, I'll try to squeeze in as many more as we can. Um, there is a question regarding cash flow. So Karen, Deanna, Mike, feel free to chime in on this one. Uh, the question is, what should I be monitoring? Monitoring? Should I draw down my line of credit before I need it, just in case? Uh, what kinds of things should people be looking at? This is Mike. Um, I would suggest, highly suggest, doing a forecast of what I call a 13-week forecast. Again, start with your current cash position and by week, figure out how much inflow and outflow you, you expect to have. Uh, and then uh, if you have uh, your, if it looks like you're going to need your line of credit and you haven't used it in a while, I wouldn't, I would suggest at least doing a token advance just to make sure you understand the logistics of what's required to make it happen. And uh, certainly have an open dialogue with your, your bankers. So, uh, you know, uh, leave some time for Deanna and, and Karen. Uh, yeah, this is Deanna. Um, we've been having many of these phone calls this week with respect to uh, just what Mike's been saying, um, a 12 to 16 week um, cash flow. And um, um, I'm a big believer in bottom up budgeting because um, it's difficult to budget when you're going to get your next dollar in from an inflow perspective. But looking at your core costs uh, just to turn the lights on on a daily basis and uh, creating that cash flow analysis will kind of answer many of the questions in terms of how much do I need and when do I need it and having it weekly 
um, because that's how we mostly pay our bills and, and operate. So echo everything that Michael said, as well as um, even going beyond the 13 weeks, uh, 12 to 16 weeks at this point is probably the best game and also to fold in when those advances might be needed on the line of credit so you can both both know yourself first and then second show the bank when you may need those uh, dollars to come in to supplement uh, cash receipts from your receivables and customers. All right, thank you. Um, so for the last couple of questions that we couldn't get to, there's a handful. Um, we will distribute these out to the strategic partners and any feedback that we can get um, on some of the outstanding questions, we will be sure to send out um, to you for, for answers. So I'm gonna turn it over to Liz. Thanks, Kara. All right, thank you everyone again for joining us today. And a huge thank you again to our partners for showing up to share their expertise with us. We are recording today's call, so we're gonna try to clean it up and share it with everyone, um, hopefully by the end of the week. And then Kara's also writing a blog to summarize the takeaways for everyone. Uh, we're working to make all programs virtual over the next six weeks for EFBC. We fully expect um, to find new ways to serve our and your needs, and we'll keep you informed as we make new developments. The EFBC and strategic partners are here to help and support. So if you need to, please don't hesitate to reach out to our partners. And if you need their contact info, Kara and I can help with that. Um, I hope everyone has a great rest of your day and we'll talk to everyone soon.